everyone, and welcome back to Kidlet Chronicles. This is Chelsea. This is Nikki. And this is Hannah. And on this show, we talk about kids' books, specifically the books that we loved as kids of the early 2000s. So think Warrior Cats, Percy Jackson, Narnia. We have also been known to dabble in modern kids' books and even interview some authors. Today we're talking about The Ranger's Apprentice Book 2, The Burning Bridge, which is by John Flanagan and was published in 2005. As a reminder, The Ranger's Apprentice is a 12-book medieval fantasy series about a kid named Will who becomes apprentice to the legendary Ranger Halt. On Kidlit Chronicles, we also like to talk about theme, which usually leads us into some rabbit holes of pretty serious adult topics. So, if you're young enough to still go to a scholastic book fair... Proceed with caution. And in this episode, we are talking about a lot of things. We talk about violence versus diplomacy. When is it ethical to solve problems with violence? According to this book, a lot of the time, so stay tuned. We also talk about some pretty epic battle scenes, the hive mind villain trope, and what we can learn about social interaction by reading dialogue in books. Don't forget to rate us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Follow us on social media. We are at the Kidlit Chronicles on Instagram and YouTube and at Kidlit Chronicle on Twitter. And as always, enjoy the episode. How do you guys feel about the quiz? You guys feel ready? You guys know <laughs> everything? I finished the book today, so I feel pretty confident. I hope I would know everything. I think if I lose the quiz, it really puts into question how big a fan I am of this <laughs> series. Oh, well, we'll see. Um, I wrote the quiz today, so... I also have a small sidebar that I wanted to bring up before we get into the quiz, which is, since we did the first Ranger's Apprentice episode, our Australian and New Zealand listenership on Anchor increased <laughs> a little bit. That's hilarious. By like one it's person? Like, well, no, I don't even know. It's now like the some of the top countries are New Zealand and Australia, <laughs> behind Germany for some reason, and the US. That's... <laughs> Absolutely hilarious. You think that John Flanagan himself? I hope not. <laughs> <laughs> I hope not. Apparently he is kind of involved with the fandom, though. I was looking at some subreddits today, and people said that they emailed him with questions about the series when they were younger, and he would respond to them, which is sweet. Oh my goodness. Well, John, if you're listening, hello. Leave. <laughs> if you're listening, leave. <laughs> no, I think, I think you know, no spoilers or anything, but I think this is going to be a good episode. Ooh. Interesting. Anyways, Some would say. let's get to the quiz. Ready? Yes. Question number one. At the very beginning of the book, Halt and Will are hunting the Wargals, who are you know, just a recap for our listeners, the, the great villain Morgoth's henchmen. Um, and when Halton will find them, they discover this important secret. A plan. plans to the <laughs> battle. <laughs> yeah. That was pretty vague, I guess. <laughs> plans about what? Morgareth's more battle plans. Is it Morgareth? Is that for That's real? That's how the audiobook narrator said it. Wow. You can never tell with these things. Okay, I, I guess it's more Gareth. Anyways, um, I'll give it to Hannah because she had more elaboration. <laughs> yeah, that's fine. I'm on a competitive streak this time. Oh, I won't oh, back down. Okay. <laughs> okay, question number two. 
Discovering the battle plans causes Will, his friend Horace, and the other ranger, Gillen, to travel to neighboring Celtica to get reinforcements for the coming battle. But when they get there, they discover that all the Celts are... Gone. They're disappeared. They were kidnapped. Well, they don't know that part yet, <laughs> but that's what happened. Missing. Yes. Yeah. And who kidnapped them? The Wargles. Wargles. Yeah. All the Wargles, yeah. yes. Okay, I'll give it that's to true. Nikki because she had Yay! all the other stuff. Understandable. <laughs> Number three. During this whole episode, they also come across a girl named Evelyn who claims to be a noble lady's maid who is attacked by the Wargles, but she's actually... The Princess Cassandra. Yeah. <laughs> All right. That's Hannah. Hannah. We're coming in strong. <laughs> She's the princess of Eraluin, which is very important. And question number four. Will Horace and of Evelyn, as she's going by, decide to investigate the Wargles and everything that's going on, and they find that Morgareth is using the Celts to build a bridge. Bridge. A bridge. And tunnel. <laughs> okay. Doing everything I can to expand on my Well, I heard Nikki like one second earlier. Yeah, I think she said it first. Yes, but they're building a bridge because previously it was like an impassable fissure that separated Morgareth's land and Eraluin's land, and they built a bridge. Okay, next question. The trio comes up with a plan to burn the bridge, which they successfully do, but then Will and Evelyn are captured by... Scandians. Yes, correct, the yeah. Scandians, who are wolf-slash-dog-like <laughs> people who are also... No. What? They're not dogs or wolves? No, they're real people. I think they're just they're humans. Like Vikings. Or are you for real? I thought yeah. they were like... Where did I get that from? They call them like... Like they have wolf ships or something. Oh. Or they're called like wolf raiders or something. But it's like... They're that's really... Just... They don't have anything to do with actual wolves? No, they're, they're humans. I think they're just... <laughs> yeah. Scandinavian people. Yeah, Scandinavian Vikings. And they're raiders, so they're like pirates or whatever. Well, in my head this whole time, I thought they were like wolf werewolves. <laughs> that would be better. No... Well, that's what the wargles are, basically. That's true, yeah. That's, I guess that's fair. Anyways, next question. Meanwhile, Morgareth's forces are meeting King Duncan's forces in battle. How does Halt turn the tide of the battle in their favor? He defeats them at the place, and then they the, the, he defeats the Scandians <laughs> at the place, and then they take the Scandians' outfits so they can pretend to be them, and then... And and then they can pretend to attack the the Arulians, er and then Morgarath will come out because he thinks that he can take advantage of that, but actually he will be trapped by the Arulians, Araluans, Araluans. <laughs> okay. That didn't make sense. Yes. Long story short, it was <laughs> they. You know, Mor Morgareth had like a backup force of the Scandians who was gonna. They were gonna do their own trickery, but then Halt tricked their trickery and then took defeated them and took their costumes and then, and then yeah, Morgareth was fooled and that was the whole thing. Um, they got kind of deep into the military de tactics yeah. in this book. It's <laughs> true. I like it. Next to last question. Once Morgareth declares a truce, he challenges Halt to single man-to-man -man combat. But then Blank challenges Morgareth to fight. Of course. Wow, that was identical. 
<laughs> okay, you give you you'll both get the point. All right. Yay. Fine. Okay, final final question. Just so you know, you're going into this tide. Oh, great. <laughs> Whoa. <laughs> All right. Horus wins and kills Morgareth, shocker, and all his forces flee, but the story doesn't have a happy ending. What happens to Will and Evelyn? Kidnapped by Scandians. Taken by the Scandians. <laughs> okay. Well, Nikki got it first. Yes! Okay. Wow. I'm turning in my fan card. <laughs> I'll sell all my copies of the Rangers Apprentice books. It's okay. I feel it was close. nothing. <laughs> Yay, Nikki. You say you feel nothing? Yeah. <laughs> wow, that's cold. Well, that's good. Congratulations. Thank you. <laughs> and that was that was a good one. All right. So with that, where does anybody have any part of that they want to start with or focus on? Well, I want to say something, but it's not really... It's just kind of cool. So... Uh, when Horus defeated Mor Gareth by pairing him with the, the move he practiced by using two blades, one supporting the other, and then he stabbed him under, like underneath that, it 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 was like the Game of Thrones thing that Arya did. <laughs> and even though like that's famously bad, I did get goosebumps the first time I watched that because it was like Ooh. she had been practicing the move over and over again. And then he, like, had her, and then she, like, went under and stabbed him. And then it's also the same because all of, like, the henchmen died when, like, the main bad guy died. So I don't know if there's a point in this. I did like that because <laughs> I just thought it was nice that something he was practicing came back at the perfect moment. And it was it was interesting that Horace killed him, so we could probably talk about that. <laughs> yeah. Okay, let's, let's get into the ending. Yeah, you're absolutely right. I was honestly not expecting the, the two-knife thing that Gillen taught him at the beginning of the book to come back. But he taught it. The best part, the best part of that <laughs> is that he taught it to Will because it's a ranger technique because they have two knives that they use. And Horace was just watching. And he learned from the lessons about being a ranger in order yeah. to improve his craft as a knight. Which is epic. Yeah. <laughs> You're right. It is epic. I feel like I didn't care about Horace that much ever. And now I slightly care about him. <laughs> Dude, I think he's the best. I still think he's better than Will. But I will say that, like, you know, we talked in the first book about kind of these stereotypical characterizations. And they, I think they really leaned into him being like kind of a jock figure at least at the beginning of this book, because they kept saying like, oh, he was slow in his thinking or he like yeah. <laughs> didn't have any room in his brain for such <laughs> tactical nonsense. Dummy. They kept it. Yeah, he kept saying things like that, which I didn't really appreciate because I think well, there's there's better ways to say that, like, he doesn't like go towards tactics or like strategy naturally. But it, was, it seemed kind of mean. Well, I didn't think it was mean. Also because I related to Horace. I was like, <laughs> I am also slow on the uptake sometimes, especially with like tactical explanations. Yeah, but it just seemed more like it's like like the author was just beating you over the head with like, you know Horace, he doesn't <laughs> he doesn't get to he, he's not good at these things. Ha ha ha. Yeah. Well, he was epic at the end. Yes. Really was not <laughs> expecting him to to step in at the end. Also was not expecting Morgareth to just die at the end <laughs> yeah. of book two of 11 in this series. <laughs> yeah. It really makes me wonder what the rest of the books are about. Yeah. 
it's pretty episodic, I gotta say. That's the thing about the series. It is funny, like, how much they set up more Gareth as, like, the big bad or whatever in the first book. Like, oh, he started a war a while ago, and now the war is coming back, and there doesn't seem to be any other villains in sight. It's just more Gareth. But in book two, yeah, he dies, so... <laughs> Leaves the room for more conflict further in the series with other villains. Interesting. Well, I was gonna, I was gonna say, like, what if it's like a Voldemort situation where he somehow <laughs> survives? But I guess he died pretty solidly by being stabbed. So, <laughs> in the heart. Yeah, I don't know. I, I think I was pretty satisfied when they finally unveiled him. He was pretty unsettling, <laughs> being pale and vulture-like. And I liked how his horse was not big and strong, but just like a scrunkly white horse. <laughs> that was scary. <laughs> He's a scrunkly man himself. Yeah. Yeah, I thought it was funny that the it was like, Morgareth rode a pale horse. I was like, oh, really? Did he? Yeah. Just like death. Yes. <laughs> pale horse, pale rider. Something else I really liked about the ending was that I, I, I really thought that Halt was going to get Will and Evelyn at the end, yeah. and then, like, they would be okay. But a part of me, that I, I really didn't actually want that to happen, because I thought, like, how cool would it be if the next book was, like, a nautical adventure? Like, they're on the ships, <laughs> and then they go to this, like, new land. And then that's it actually happened, and I thought that that was really great. Yeah. Yeah, the stakes. One thing that you mentioned, Nikki, with the first book is that it didn't really feel like it was building up to anything big. Because it was kind of a lot of exposition, just like understanding like what rangers are and things like that. But this book, like stakes were really big. Failures and like sacrifices were had. And I thought that that was really great. I, okay. Yeah, my general thoughts on this book was that it started out a little rough, but I really liked it at the end. Yeah, that's great to hear. I think I agree with that. In fact, at the beginning of the book, when I was reading it, I was like, oh boy, here we go again. <laughs> This has a lot of the same problems as the first book, but maybe in like the last third, that's when it got really epic with yeah. like the whole burning bridge scenario and the whole horse defeating Morgareth and the whole chase for like Halt to try and catch up with the Scandians before they left the docks. So that was all like action scene after action scene and it was pretty great. When Horace defeated Morgareth, I was like pumping my fist in the air. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, let's go, Horace. Let's go. <laughs> I totally forgot that that happened. <laughs> I like how he just threw himself under the horse's feet. <laughs> it was a bit silly. Yeah. Anyways, carry on. I do want to kind of talk about the beginning, though, or like what I was thinking about the beginning, because boy, was it slow or a yeah. little hard to get through. <laughs> Mainly because there's a lot of interaction between, before the real main plot started, it was a lot of talking between Will, Halt, and Gillen, and then it was like Gillen, Will, and Horace, and it was just so like over-explaining every single line of dialogue. Like, yes! Saying like, uh, Halt said this because he knew that Will was upset and he wanted to give him a sarcastic jab, and then it was like... <laughs> Will got angry, but then he realized that he'd been duped. So then he tried to throw out a witty phrase. And I was like, what is happening? <laughs> yes, it was like an anime battle scene where they explain what they're going to do. <laughs> yeah, I totally so agree. Right. And that also was a huge annoyance with the last book. 
the like the first book. But I feel like that definitely decreased greatly as the book went on. So that was good. Yes. Another okay. A small thing about that is that the number of times that the phrase he made a happy slash sad slash confused slash whatever gesture in the first like 50 pages of the book was like insane like what does it mean when somebody makes a confused gesture like why can't you just describe what the gesture is yes it's called show don't tell (laughs) john flanagan yeah but i wanted to think about it from a literary perspective not just from a bad writing perspective because again one of the other things that we talked about with the first book was the omniscient pov where every you could everybody you could hear their thoughts which was interesting. But what makes it most interesting in this book, I think, is that they're like Morgareth is one of those characters, like evil people. They get the same like omniscient treatment, which I just think is so interesting. And also like, I'm wondering like where like the line kind of is with like inhabiting somebody else's perspective, because obviously it's really deep into Will's perspective and we know his hopes and dreams and fears and stuff. We also get more Garrus perspective but because he's an evil character it's really flat <laughs> and I don't necessarily think that having the omniscient perspective really gives you more empathy for him even though I think that could have happened right and also this is some the kind of like plot hole thing that makes me confused with omniscient perspectives is that we get Evelyn's thoughts at some <laughs> points too but we know that she's hiding a big secret Yes. But like she doesn't think the secret to the viewer or to yes. the reader, you know, and it's revealed later like it's a twist. Huge but pet it's just, peeve. Yeah. <laughs> so I don't really have like a cohesive theory, but I do think it's interesting that like there's this really over explanation of how social interactions work paired with this omniscient perspective, you know? Yeah. But then that sort of over explanation or like empathy and perspective inhabitation is not extended really to the villains even though we do get their thoughts what do you guys think about any of this i think maybe it was just there wasn't enough time logistically to start to try to have empathy for more gareth because he was about to die we didn't go into his head too many times the main thing i thought it added by going into his head was like there was a lot of dramatic irony because the reader knew like that for example the advancing scandians were not actually scandians but then more more gareth thought they were so it was like dramatic irony but i can't remember if we got into like eric the scandian's head i think we might have because i remember having empathy for them even though they were kind of terrible at the same time right we got into the dying Scandians head. Oh, yeah, that's true. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I liked hearing about their motivations to fight and how they wanted to just basically desert. Because I was like, yeah, that would be me too. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I guess you do have to have a limit somewhere if you're trying to have plot twists and stuff with the omniscient point of view. And I mean, to the reader, it was already obvious that Evelyn was not who she was saying she was. Yeah. Because immediately after she introduced herself, she was kind of hesitating about details about her life. But this is a children's book. (laughs) Yeah. I just, I'm just like wondering what we think, if anything, like this book gains from the fact that it's omniscient versus like if it was just Will's POV. Because if it was just Will's POV, then we wouldn't have those like weird over explanation of like, 
when Will's in a conversation with all the all these other people, we <laughs> see the mind games that everyone's playing. Or e- even the other example with like Halt and um, Alice, because that was like a little side plot that happened was that they had the journey together. And then it was like <laughs> Alice was trying to draw him out. But Halt knew that she was. <laughs> but then he was fooled. And then he was like, oh, she's good at her job. Yeah, I felt throughout this book and the last book, I feel like this book series is kind of cartoony just in general like even down to like the character descriptions and like how Morgareth is pretty flat as a villain and like I was trying to think of if I had ever seen anything else that had an omniscient point of view and I think like cartoons do that a lot and anime does that a lot where like the whole thing with the battle scene where like one character does something cool and you get a peek into every watching character's heads where they're like, I didn't expect that to happen <laughs> or whatever. <laughs> it's kind of like that. So I guess anime is omniscient a lot of the times. And a lot of it is like shown in anime where it's like for a younger audience. So maybe it's just to kind of help kids see every character as like human and connect with them a bit more. I was wondering if someone reading this could like learn social interaction or like what people's like motivations are behind conversations if that was like a part of it maybe or if it says something about like what we think social interactions like do between people because it seems kind of like (laughs) combat like mind combat the way that it's portrayed in this book right like Evelyn's keeping secrets and then like people are trying to like suss that out from what she says like Halt and Will and Gillen are trying to like one-up each other like playfully but like it's kind of like a combat skill and then there was that whole thing with like more Gareth at the end he was kind of like mind fighting like Halt and Horace and King Duncan by like challenging them and kind of like and then they were trying to pretend like they were trying to dissuade him from doing it by insulting him by being like you're really gonna fight a boy but then Morgareth was like I see through your plans like I don't feel shame because whatever you know there's a lot of that well I I read the series mostly in middle school (laughs) I think I remember that recently and it definitely had the effect on me where like I would read about like Halt raised an eyebrow sarcastically or whatever, or like this person made like a emphatic gesture or whatever. And I'd be like trying to do that (laughs) in real life and be like, are they picking up that I'm raising one eyebrow in confusion (laughs) or whatever? (laughs) So I, I know we talked about that with like, when you reach me as well, like when the character said like people in books were always doing it. So I tried to do it too. So I feel like maybe I did learn like the wrong lesson from this series <laughs> that people uh, were in equal mind combat with me as I was in with them. Yeah. To answer your question, Chelsea, I just assume that this is not actually how social interactions work. So therefore, there is nothing to learn from this. But I could be wrong about that. So, yeah. <laughs> I mean, am I wrong? <laughs> no i don't think this is how social interaction works but i wonder yeah maybe if it's like the intended effect is that to get you to think about like what other people are thinking about or how they're impacted by what you say because i I wanted to think about it deeper than like this is bad writing you know yeah (laughs) i don't know i i guess i kind of took it more cartoonishly like hannah was saying like it was just for laughs because if you're, like, in the character's head, it's like, is this person joking with me? It's, like, kind of, you know, 
don't know. It's just kind of like lighthearted banter. It certainly made me a weird middle schooler (laughs) by thinking that this is how social interactions work. Interesting. Well, maybe it did not have its intended effect. But (laughs) it's it's interesting to think about because I think it's it's pretty rare nowadays to read a book that is written this way. But anyways. Let me just say one more thing about the narration. I know that it's not like, you know, a a writing workshop, but I feel like it would have, it would have been less, okay, maybe it was probably his intention to make it this kind of vibe where it's like mind battle during conversation. But I feel like it came off as so unnatural and weird to me, just in my opinion, because usually if it's an omniscient narrator, it's like separate at chapter points. But in these books, it's just like, you're in Will's head and then all of a sudden you're literally in Halt's head and it's like, what just happened? <laughs> so yeah, to me, I still don't really like it. That's just my opinion. I It's very jarring and <laughs> unnecessary to me. And it can cause problems like you were in Evelyn's head and we should technically know her secret because she should be thinking about it, but we don't. So yeah, that's me being a hater. <laughs> no, I agree that I don't like it either. Oh, I will say, I think it also connects to, so like we have the ranger style of fighting, right? And then we also have the knight, the knight battle school style of fighting. And then there is this thing with Alice being a part of the book and diplomacy is also, I think, being elevated to that style of fighting, which comes with like conversation. So that could be a way to interpret it. Also, FYI, this is, we should have said this earlier, but just a reminder that, yeah, like Alice is the trainee for the diplomacy school or sector. <laughs> so she's kind of, she and Lady, what's her name? Pauline. Pauline. She and Lady Pauline are kind of representative of that. And that did play a part in this story as well. <laughs> That's, is that a transition to the <laughs> to the passage? Oh, yeah, you're right. Well, thinking about it, what was the point of that whole adventure that Halt and Alice had? I don't remember. You know, let me tell you. (laughs) (laughs) I think, I think, okay, okay. So your criticism in the last book, both of you said that Halt was like too violent or whatever, or that he rejoiced in being violent, (laughs) which I agree with. But I think in this book, I don't know, I get the sense that John Flanagan received that criticism. And then he was like, I'm going to have all the other characters criticize Halt for being violent, and I'm going to show that this is more of like a character flaw with him. But I think John Flanagan still thinks Halt is in the right, so (laughs) I don't know how effective that is of tempering his uh, issues. But yeah, in this book, basically, Halt has a few different sections where he is like irrational and temperamental, and... At the beginning, it's because Will has gone away on a mission and he misses him, but he won't admit it to anybody because toxic masculinity, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> and he's acting out by doing errands for Baron Erold, where, like, I guess, like, lords of, like, landlords and stuff are not, like, responding to the battle call to, like, send troops to Erold for the war. So Halt is sent to them to, like, convince them to join the effort. And then he ends up throwing people in, like, moats and stuff and, like, punching them and stuff. And all the reasonable people around Baron Erold are like, we need to do something about Halt and his violence. (laughs) And then later it comes up as well because, like, uh, Morgareth convinces Halt to fight by teasing him about torturing Will or whatever. Mm. So that's, like, his temper raising up again. But... 
the part where it seems like Holt is kind of in the right, and that's what John Flanagan thinks, is when he and Alice go on a little mission together to confront another, like, landlord who isn't sending anybody to the fight. And, like, Alice wants to try to use diplomacy on him, but this guy is just so horrible that Holt ends up throwing him into the moat. And then it's like, that worked <laughs> better than diplomacy. <laughs> so we can read that passage <laughs> before Halt throws the guy into the boat. Okay. All right. Let's go. So I will be playing Alice in this scene, and Nikki will be narrator and Halt, and Hannah will be sexist man, a.k.a. <laughs> Montague. Yeah. Yes. All right. And scene. I'm instructed to draw your attention to items 3 and 5 in the letter, sir, and paragraph 9 as well. They make it quite clear that the wording of the treaty is faulty, and your claim to independence is totally spurious. Alice replied, and now for the first time Montague shed the air of world weariness that he'd assumed. He stood angrily. Spurious! He shouted. Spurious? Who the devil are you? A little girl in a grown-up's dress to come in here insulting me and saying my claim is spurious? How dare you? Alice stood her ground unmoved by his sudden anger. I repeat, sir, you are requested to read those items, she said quietly. Instead, Montague threw the letter down on the desk between them. And I refuse, he shouted. Then his eyes narrowed. I know who's behind this. I see the hand of that sour-faced shrew, Lady Pauline, here. Now Alice's own anger flared. You will speak respectfully of Lady Pauline, sir, she warned him, but Montague was too angry to stop. I'll speak of her, all right. I'll tell you this. She's a woman meddling in a man's world, where she has no place. She should have found a husband years ago and raised a brood of squalling babies. Surely there's a deaf and half-blind man somewhere who would have taken her. <gasps> Sir, said Alice, her voice rising. You're going too far. Is that right, sweetheart? Montague replied sarcastically. Well, let me give you some advice. Get away from that shrill, pinch-faced witch while you still have time. Find a husband and learn to cook. That's all women are good for, girl. Cooking and raising the babies. Halt stepped forward before Alice could reply. The correct form of address, he repeated quietly, is not girl or sweetheart. It is Lady Alice. You will show respect for the laurel branch that this courier wears, and you will show respect for Lady Pauline as well. Dun dun dun. And then Halt throws him out the window into the motor. Yeah. <laughs> and everyone claps. Yay. <laughs> okay. But interesting, Hannah, the point that you brought up about how this kind of shows how violence is, like, um, more effective than diplomacy. I didn't think about it from that angle. But also, diplomacy, or, like, charisma, is, it does have an effect on Halt himself from Alice in their personal relationship. Yeah, I think the lesson might even just be, like, Sometimes there are situations that call for violence <laughs> or something. When diplomacy fails, that's when you employ violence. <laughs> it reminded me of the situation recently. It's not really recent anymore, but the whole thing with Will Smith and Chris Rock, where Will Smith slapped him, and then there was a great debate over like who was in the wrong. 
And I saw some valid seeming arguments that were like, sometimes comedians need to know that there are consequences to their terrible jokes. So it's okay that Will Smith slapped him. And then the other side was like, violence is never the answer. So it's not good that Will Smith slapped him. So I don't even know where I lie on that argument. So I don't know how how much I agree with Halt's actions here either. Yeah. It's also hard because, like, I don't know. Actually, I'm not going to say that. I might be wrong. <laughs> I don't want to get canceled <laughs> on Twitter. <laughs> okay, well, I'll say it and then tell me if I'm wrong. But this guy was so cartoonishly sexist. I feel like, well, duh, you can throw him in the moat. But, like... Very few people are going to be that just, like, idiotically sexist. I don't know. (laughs) I think you're right. Like, yes, I thought that. But I also think that for the age that this is for and the fact that it takes place in a fantasy land is pretty, like, I don't know. You know, there's there's criticism of Game of Thrones, a, a series I haven't watched. But I know that people criticize it for having a lot of violence against women and sexual assault and things like that. And then the argument is like, that's just how things were back then. Even though Game of Thrones is an imaginary land. Yes. But, you know, I think that's kind of the thing in like historical or like fantasy, you know, like medieval Europe based pieces of media. And I think it was good that it showed that this happens in this world, but like it wasn't accepted as like a given or like something that people within the world should just accept so i did like that and i think another um reversal in this scene is that like alice is literally the most like calm and composed and then like halt and this montague guy are literally like screaming like emotional wrecks (laughs) like um which again yeah that's like a reversal of stereotypes that's true but also a commentary on how much women have to put up with in the, in the world. Oh, yeah, it's Alice's Me Too mo- moment. It's true. Yeah. I wonder what the point was of writing this scene from John Flanagan. Because this book was published in 2006, lest we forget. So, <laughs> mm. Dude, I think you're totally right. Like, I didn't think about it before, but as soon as you said that, like, he was trying to, like, incorporate or to consciously um, work through the fact that Halt was maybe a little too violent (laughs) in the first book and kind of have, like, think through that. But then ultimately he's still portrayed as being right sometimes. I think that was the point, is to kind of show Halt as more of a human character, which is interesting. Also, you know, there's that hint of, like, he had this romance with Lady Pauline. (laughs) Like, that's definitely a humanizing quality. And... There was a really weird part. Oh, yeah. Where... I know exactly what you're going to say. <laughs> <laughs> where it was like borderline inappropriate thoughts about Alice. Yeah. He, he said something that was like, oh, if only I were 30 years younger or yeah, whatever. Yeah. And I was yes. like, ooh. Yeah, I don't, I don't know, know about, about that. that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And that happens, by the way, just like right after they throw the guy into the moat, like on the way back. <laughs> yeah. So it's like, okay, Halt, please Throw stop. yourself into the moat, mo- Halt. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Have you ever considered your own misogyny? <laughs> <laughs> it's time to look inwards, Halt. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but I will say I liked Halt a lot better in this book just entirely, because also a huge part was obviously him feeling very 
loving towards Will and wanting to protect him. And I was like, oh, he's like a father yeah. figure now. So that was cool. And like literally the last moment in the book was like he stood in the waves watching the ship that took Will away and repeated the promise that only he could hear. I will save you, Will. So, yeah. Yeah, that was pretty cool. Uh, uh, <laughs> it hurts. It's so good. I love Halt. He's the best. <laughs> you know, Braum was never sexist. <laughs> he didn't live long enough for anyone to know whether he would be sexist or not. <laughs> What? He didn't say, if only I were an elf for Arya or whatever. <laughs> if only I were a thousand years older. <laughs> yeah. Anyways, we don't have to go there. Halt's great. <laughs> That's all I want to say. Are there Were there any other major points that you wanted to get to before the ratings? I did think it... This is just a side thing in reference to two previous points, I guess, which is like the cartoonishness of some of the characterizations in the series of certain characters, like specifically villains is what I was thinking about. Because when they described Morgareth, it was very much like he had like a snake-like sibilance and he was very like wiry and he like shrieked certain sentences and his voice got very high sometimes. And I was like, they describe the the sexist guy as foppish as well, and in both cases, I was like, "Hmm, this reminds me of the argument about like Disney villains being gay coded, both with Morgareth and this foppish sexist man." Yes, I don't, I don't know what foppish means, but I do know what sibilance means, <laughs> and <laughs> yeah, that's like I thought that was kind of gay coded. Yeah. He's got the S's. Yeah. And the audiobook narrator certainly made him kind of lispy with a, like a high voice. Yeah. yeah. So, is Morgareth actually a gay icon? <laughs> <laughs> Much like every Disney villain. <laughs> That's right. Yeah, I don't know if there's anything that needs to be said about that that hasn't already been said about Disney villains in the common discourse. But... Just something I thought about while reading. <laughs> Just a, a relic of its time, I suppose. Okay. I will also bring up a slightly random point okay. before we get to the ratings then. Cool. Which is that the mind control thing with Morgareth and the Wargles, it reminded me a lot of Ender's Game. Because um, that's kind of the whole thing with the aliens, right? Is It's a hive mind and they only have the queen ant. And then there is that quote from Ender's Game where it's like the reason that Ender... And humanity in general is able to defeat them is because with the hive mind, there's only one person, one sentient being in control, which means that, you know, that they can like coordinate seamlessly, but it also means there's not a lot of like innovation. Whereas like with human beings, like every single person can like think on their own. And that's like why they won. And that also made me, that's what I was thinking about in the final battle with Morgareth and the Wargles. Yeah. Well, it's a very common trope, I think. Like, again, it it happened in Game of Thrones, and I kind of hint... What's it called? I can't think of the idiom I'm trying to use. I, try, I kind of lean towards not liking it as a trope, because it's like, I feel like you just... And this is more so a problem in Game of Thrones, but it's like you just create an army or an enemy that's so unbeatable that the only way you can beat them is just like, oh, guess what? All you have to do is kill one of them, and then all of them die. <laughs> it's kind of silly. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. I think there's, um, you could 
argue that there is some cultural slash political commentary mm. on like individualism versus like a collectivism. Yeah, culture. That is yeah. an interesting point. It would be interesting, maybe, if something like yes, there could still be one sentient being or like a hive mind, but if something interesting happened after you took that person out rather than just like oh now they're none of them are dangerous <laughs> you know <laughs> like what if they all like gained sentience and started innovating individually and yeah and then like the army still had to go and defeat all of them which they could do because you know they outnumber them but it would still be like less of an easy win i don't know mm, yeah i guess it's uh, enough of a trope at this point that somebody needs to subvert it somehow <laughs> yeah yeah i i also just think that like it would be interesting to see what that might look like in a non-negative light uh-huh. not the villains having a hive mind but like what that culture could look like positively mm-hmm. that would be neat there's also a rick and morty episode with a hive mind <laughs> for research if anyone wants to look at the planet that. is that what it is there's like the planet I remember I watched one episode. It was like the whole planet was like one being. Yeah, and she was like in love with Rick. And so yes. every person on the planet would like flirt with Rick and like talk with him and stuff. Yes, but she was also a bad person <laughs> or like a bad planet. So, so there you have it. <laughs> Collectivism bad, individualism good. <laughs> okay. All right. Let's get into the ratings. Nikki, why don't you go first? Uh, Since you're going to be the worst, <laughs> I think. Well, okay. Actually... I mean, I tried to spread this book out over a long period of time and read as little of it as possible every day. (laughs) Um, Just because I can't tolerate... I don't know. Sorry, that was going to sound super mean. I just wanted to... (laughs) I just wanted to read a book that I was reading for fun, which was another book. Anyways, so... But... So I kind of was like... It felt like a task I had to put myself to. But by the end, I realized I did like it a lot more than the first one. Especially the second half, as we mentioned. Like, I thought it was pretty solid after it got past all the weird stuff with the omniscience and, like, the weird social interactions and jokes and blah, blah, blah. Um, And it started just actually having stakes, like Chelsea said. So I gave this one a 3. And I think I gave the last one a 2.5. So it was an improvement, for sure. Improvement, yay. (laughs) Yeah, I definitely... I was like, wow, if, if all of the books are like how the second half of this one is, it's probably pretty solid three 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 what what are we rating it out oh yeah oh yeah we didn't do the ratings system three bridges bridges (laughs) three burning burning bridges bridges. three burning bridges out of five cool (laughs) it's a lot of bridges (laughs) i can go i i actually thought about this beforehand which i usually don't do but i think i would give it like a like a 4.5 out of 5. I gave the last one a 4, I'm pretty sure. But this one was just so epic, and it resulted in me being, like, physically excited about (laughs) what was happening. (laughs) Pumping my fist in the air and feeling emotions deeply about Halt and (laughs) Horace in particular. I just really like Halt and, like, Evelyn and Horace and Will. I think they're all great characters. I like all of them very much, um, and I think Evelyn is a great character, and I'm glad that she's in here now, or Cassandra, or whatever. So, yeah, that was a great addition. And I just defaultly enjoy the weird small talk and conversations between the characters, because I like the characters so much, and because I'm nostalgic for it. 
and I think it's funny how they play mind games with each other and stuff, and we can see it all go down. And I personally like anime a lot, <laughs> which is what this is similar to. <laughs> so I don't mind these silly little tropes. So yeah, 4.5 Burning Bridges for me. All right. I also thought about my rating in advance, which I also don't really do. Uh-huh. I would give it a 4.25, hmm. which is real high, <laughs> um, I think. Considering I do think that there are still a lot of criticisms of this book, yeah. <laughs> but I personally just really enjoyed reading it, like, the second half. Yeah, I thought that, like, the burning bridge part was, like, super epic, and I liked the final battle. I thought, even though there were some things that were very obvious about the plot, like Evelyn being the princess or whatever, um, was not expecting Morgaris to die wasn't really expecting that Will and Evelyn would actually be, like, kidnapped at the end. So I there was, like, a lot of twists. But still, I mean, you mentioned that you like Evelyn. <laughs> I think, similar to the first book, I don't... I would not say that the female characters are particularly strong. I, I mean, like, Evelyn's kind of just, like, a whatever, at least right now, like, personality-wise. And Alice is also just, like, whatever... Like, I, I don't know. They don't really appear to be flawed individuals in any way, which I think means that they're not very deep. I do feel a love triangle coming, <laughs> which I guess I'll be excited about. With who? Huh? Will, Evelyn, and uh, and Alice. Ah. Because there was some stuff going on with Will and Evelyn. I definitely shipped Will and Evelyn when I was younger. <laughs> okay. Interesting. Anyways. Overall, it was an enjoyable read. I think I liked it better than the second Percy Jackson book, Ooh. which was the other like was the thing that we read most recently other than Coraline. So, yeah, I'm excited for the third book. I love the I love a old ship's pirate's tale. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Should we do more predictions? Well, I don't know who the new villain is. My prediction was that Morgareth is going to be like Voldemort and like r- resurrect himself. I yeah, love triangle. I still think Halt is going to die at some point. And that's all I have. I don't know. I don't have anything. <laughs> I hope it's on a ship, like Chelsea said. Hmm. Oh, also, I think the Scanians are good people. Hmm. They're not painted as, like, villains, you know, 100%. Yeah. So, yeah, I think I enjoy them. Yes. Yeah. Me too. That'll be an interesting discussion in the next book <laughs> as well. Ooh, all right. Oh. All right. But with that, we will leave you. Yeah. Next time, we are going to be doing a holiday themed book. <laughs> Somewhat. Kind of. <laughs> the Hobbit. The The It'll come out. I meant. Excuse me. <laughs> We're going to read The Hobbit. Yeah. <laughs> and that will be a fun one. Yeah. And Yippee. with that. Yippee. Yep. Yep. All right. <laughs> See you next time. Bye. Bye. Bye.